Well, good morning. How are we doing? Great. He is risen. All right, if you're not a Christian, you, that was just like a little insider language, and you're just like, weird, what was that? Uh, I didn't get the memo on the he is risen, he is risen indeed thing, but we're going to try it again because I want to incorporate everybody. So I say he is risen, then everybody else says he is risen indeed. You guys ready? He is risen. Fabulous. All right. So I am so excited to talk to you about Easter. And um, especially um, if you've never been here before, my name is Chris Pleckenpole. Uh, you may call me Pastor Pleck if you like. Uh, that's a fun name. And in fact, I have a podcast by that name, Pastor Pleck's Podcast, where if you have any questions, I love questions. I do questions. There is no question out of bounds. Uh, there is no question that I'm going to be like, oh, I can't believe they would ask that. And we'll address all that on that podcast, which comes out generally around on Tuesdays. Okay. Now, one of the things that uh, Easter is all about, Resurrection Sunday is all about, it's the fact that we announce to the world that we worship a God who is not dead. And we go, he is risen, and everyone goes, yeah, he's risen indeed. But what happens, it sometimes only happens in church. In fact, if we're honest, we all had opportunities this week to invite somebody, and we didn't. Because it's, well, it's, it's awkward, right? Okay, can I just, I'll confess something. Can I confess something? Uh, I had an opportunity this week with my neighbor. It was like kind of a layup moment. And I was like, ah, this just isn't the right time. They're not going to respond right. Let me get to know them a little bit more. And I sort of let that moment go. Has anybody else ever done that? Okay, a couple of you, a couple of you are honest. Thank you, Rocky. Uh, that, that there's that reality that we can kind of, we can be at a place where we feel like I, I should share and we are convicted by it. We know it, that we have the answer for eternity. We can escape hell. We can escape eternal torment with Jesus. Hallelujah. But for some reason, other people and their opinion of us can get in the way. So I, kind of, I came up with three ways. There's, there's more than three ways. There's a million ways, but here's primarily the three ways that for reasons that people don't uh, share the gospel or share the hope that we have in Jesus. It's because of other people. We become a victim to what others think of us. We're so worried about what they think. We're so worried about um, that it's going to look weird and it's going to go badly. Uh, or what about this? We blame um, our circumstances or AKA God. Like God, listen, uh, this isn't the right time. Once things get a little bit easier, I get myself on my feet. Then I'll be able to tell people about Jesus. I'll be able to invite them to my church. I'll be able to tell them about the eternal promise of God. I would love to do that when things get a little bit easier for me, okay? Or how about this? Um, we blame ourselves. We would say, listen, um, I, I'm a mess right now, and I would love to tell people about Jesus. Um, listen, I, you, do you, if I were to tell you what I did last night, or if I would tell you what has been going on in my world, uh, you would reject me, number one. I am worthless, number two. I'd make Jesus look bad, number three. And then the church is already known for hypocrites anyway. I don't want to join the throng of them. And so that's where we go. And so we shut it down. We turn off our jesus meter and we just sort of like live like, like everybody else and there's nothing different between us and the rest of the world. And how in the world is the world going to know about our hope if we don't ever share it? Okay. Everyone's feeling guilty, lots of shame, condemnation. Okay. Listen, no, no, get it. We're, this is, this is, there's a hope here. And listen, there's some of you here like... <laughs> Ah, Jesus being raised from the dead. I thank you. I'll now check out for the rest of the conversation. Because let's be honest. Did Jesus, I mean, you guys really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Now listen, here, can I just be honest with you, person that doesn't believe in Jesus? Um, this message actually has implications for you because I'm willing to bet 
if I was a betting man. I was willing to bet that your life is hindered by the other, other people's opinions of you, other, what other people think about you, or what you think that other people think about you. You're hindered by your circumstances. You're, you've said, I, I will, when I get the next promotion, when that raise comes through, when, I finally, when my wife or my husband finally gets their act together, isn't a dysfunctional wreck, that's when I will have fullness or wholeness in my life. And, and there's a lot of us that are sitting here blaming ourselves, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. We're just like in our own heads and we're like just going back and the self-loathing and all that stuff, the darkness creeps up to the forefront and we are a absolute wreck with our life because we're saying, I am never going to get it. And so I want to tell you, you too, there's hope for you, okay? We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John. That's a book of the Bible. Uh, it's in the New Testament. And so if you could pull out your device or your Bible, I would love for us to get into God's Word and we will um, check it out for what God has for us, all right? We're going to pray and ask God to open up his word and open our hearts. Father, I thank you that you would speak to us and that we would be able to clearly articulate the hope we have in you. Jesus, we need you. So Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that somebody who is far from you would have something stirred up inside them. And God, I'm praying that those of us who've walked with you for a while, but we've gotten stuck either by other people, by the circumstances you've given us, or our own selves, that we'd overcome that by your blood and your power and your spirit, and we'd learn to tell the whole world about who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody set? All right, here we go. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, er, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, like before the sun got up, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she doesn't go in the tomb. She sees that the stone's rolled away. She immediately thinks the worst, and she makes a mad dash to Simon Peter and the other disciple, a.k.a. the one that Jesus loved. We know him as John. And she says to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I want you to kind of hear the emotion here. Here is a woman who, uh, if you don't know anything about Mary Magdalene, she had seven demons. I mean, she was a mess. Like, uh, she was on the wrong side of town. She was a person that you wouldn't interact with. She was uh, just, the power of hell was all over her life. And Jesus on one day comes by, frees her from her sin, frees her from the demons, and she is like devoted for life, okay? And she watches Jesus do stuff like you wouldn't even think. He, Jesus walked on water. He raises people from the dead. Uh, Jesus would cross cultural boundaries with women and different cultures. It was mind-blowing. And so her whole world had been blown up, and she had grown to love and even worship Jesus. And now he's gone. And so everything inside her just sort of you can feel the weight of it. And I want you to hear how she would say this. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Look at this they. It's right here. Now, th this is to, you know, Peter and, and John, they get this. They, they've been with Jesus. They've, they've felt the same. I mean, they've had a horrible weekend themselves, all right? And so they're, they're feeling the weight of that. And when she throws out the they, they're like, yeah, they. It's the Pharisees. It's the soldiers. It's... Uh, all the crowds, they have wounded us and they have hurt us and they are probably continuing to do it. It's so understandable. 
But, and, it's, and it's normal to vent to your friends, right? Like when you get with your friends, you're like, let me just tell you about the they. Now watch. So, so they get the word. They run to the tomb. Simon Peter went into the tomb. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. So they believed. They walk in. They're like, Jesus rose from the dead. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Nobody was clued in on that. That's why I love Christianity. Whenever you're like, if you were making this up, wouldn't you make the disciples a little bit more smart? I mean, you don't make them go like, what? Jesus the whole time is like, and Jesus is going to one day raise from the dead. And then you're like, I didn't get the memo. Oh yeah, that's right. He talked about that the whole time. Now, so there, so you've got uh, John and you've got Peter. Minds are blown. They're excited. And what do they do with their excitement? And then the disciples went back to their homes. It's like the most anticlimactic moment. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. Hey, all right, let's see what else we got at dinner home. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, let's, let's do brunch. I, it is so weird to me. Now, it's even, I don't know, I know this is so bad, but this is just maybe the man in me, like, laughing at this, because I could totally understand this. All, there's Mary sitting right next to them, just bawling. <laughs> and she's losing her mind. And like two men, they're like, let's just go home. And, and they leave right? And they walk home, and there's Mary. They leave Mary all by herself, bawling her eyes out. Yeah, she'll figure it out. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Some of you like typical men, just unemotionally connecting. All right. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, which I, I appreciate this is now the first time she's actually looked inside. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. <laughs> and this is how you know the angels were men. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She'd just gone through the most hellacious uh, weekend of her life. She, the one person that she loved, these guys are angelic. They should know better than to ask that question. But, you know, there you go. And now what's, what's really interesting about this is, notice this, she, she responds to them, not as if they're angels. Like, I don't know what she was saying. Like, Peter, and, like, the tombs aren't built for, pot, for parties. You know that? So you just had James, or sorry, you just had John and Peter inside. They walk out. She looks in. There's two more guys in there. Like, it's like, this must be a man-producing tomb. Or, so, I don't know. What is this? She looks in, and they ask a question. When most people see angels, they freak out, wet themselves, and, like, start crying for, like, mercy right? And what happens here is she goes right into vent mode. The same way she was intimate. This is how you know kind of if you have issues. If you can't, if the same thing you share with your most personal friends, like the, the deepest wounds of your heart, then becomes the thing that you tell everybody, and now you're a conspira conspiracy theorist kind of a person. Like, that's, that's bad news, right? So the, she says to them, they have taken away my Lord. People, she has, they have no idea who, like, she would think they have no idea who she is. They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Watch this, watch this they. Here it is. Here's the they. Now, listen, we move beyond venting to this is real deal. You have issues. And listen, she has issues. She has legit issues. She went through a hell this past weekend. But now she can't take her eyes off of the they. And even when angels are sitting in front of her, heaven has come to earth to make things right. She's still elevating they. Who's the they in your life? Real quick. When you talk, because you're complaining about them, you talk about they all the time. It's corporate they. It's the people in charge who, they're nameless, faceless people that they, they control all the world. Who's the they? 
for a lot of you, they is me, which I can appreciate. For me, they is you, right? So like, we, we kind of have that relationship. So what happens is that we can kind of get to this place where we're always blaming a they. Now look, look. She can't even see heaven because she's elevated her circumstance. The, the other people are way above even heaven. Now watch this. The angels, they don't respond to her because they're like, don't know how to compute human interaction. All right, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Hold on. But she did not know it was Jesus. Watch this. The they became so big that even when she's face to face with Jesus, she has elevated the they above Jesus. And so all she can see, all she can focus is on the they. Now, Jesus even speaks to her. The very one she was looking for. She was looking for his body. She was looking for him and his body is right in front of her. And she's not like, ah, oh, there you are. No, no, what, what does she do? Look at this. And I love how Jesus asked the same question the angels did, but he has a little bit more compassion. He said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? <laughs> now, look at her response. Supposing him to be the gardener. What? All right, you've just spent three years with Jesus. Listen, uh, Brandon Anderson is here. Hey, Brandon, give away everybody. I went to combat with Brandon. I haven't seen him in 17 years, but I knew him the second I saw him, all right? So think about this. Here comes, here comes a, a guy that she spent three years with, face to face with. She saw him on Friday. <laughs> and she can't recognize him. And then watch what she does. Watch this. This this is how we are. Look at this. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And she takes the blame from the they to the you, who's now Jesus. I want to know where your body is. I will take him away. Let me take care of this business because she's so hurt. She's so broken. She so can't understand it. And she's elevated the they all above this, all she wants. If I could just find, if I can just find the they and then give me the body back, that's what I want to fix. And she misses it. And Jesus then, Jesus in this moment says to her, look at this. I love this line. One word snaps her out of it. Mary. And all of a sudden, she turns and she said to him in Aramaic, the same name that she'd been calling for the past three years, the same name that was so connecting, so powerfully, Rabboni, which just means teacher, but it's like this intimate connection. This is why probably you watch Mary go from emotional, unbelievable despair, the depths of low, to unbelievable like ecstatic high in one moment. It's probably one of the greatest recognition scenes in literature. I love this. And then Jesus says to her something super important. You got to see this. Watch this. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now here's the part I want you to underline. But go to my brothers and say to them. Her message has been this for the past, it's been on repeat. She, go, she comes from the tomb. They've taken him away. She's at the tomb. They've taken him away. She sees Jesus. You've taken him away. Her message has been, it's somebody else's fault. And he's going to give her a new message. Tell him, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
No, this is huge. She's about to leave. Jesus doesn't walk, hold her hand all the way to the disciples' house. She leaves there as she was there for a moment. But the only difference is she now knows that Jesus is alive. That's the only difference. Jesus doesn't give her a million dollars. Jesus doesn't really change her circumstances. Jesus doesn't do anything other than let her know he is alive. So Mary Magdalene leaves, and she went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Mary overcame the blame game not to not be silent. Now, here it is. This is where I feel like what happens for a lot of us. We get to the they. We start talking about the they. They're the they at work, the, the they at their family, the they at the extended family, you know, the they, the they. And we put them up on this mantle of like they have of supreme control of our lives. And we lay victims to them all the time. They. I did prison ministry for a while, and I, I could interact uh, through mail. And I, whenever I did, it would go like this. They. They have done this to me. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And, and listen, okay, it's not just people in prison. It's people in real life. It's people like you. It's people like me. Listen, I have a role, and my role is to minister to this church, and I'm so grateful for it. But I also have a family, a family of, there's six of us. I have four sons, which I totally think are the awesomest uh, kids in the whole wide world, and I have an awesome wife. And when Adrian and I first um, took on leadership here, uh, one of the things that I, I was able to do is two breakfasts. And you're like, what do you mean? I would meet with people at like 6 a.m. and then do a back-to-backer at 7 at IHOP, and it was gold because I could do ministry with people because, you, you know, people have like real lives and real jobs and real things. And so, uh, you know, who has time to talk about Jesus all day long when you have to make, like, make a living? And so I would meet with people. And in fact, at IHOP, I didn't have to wait for a table. I would just walk in. They'd just give me a nod, and they'd just come. And they didn't ask me what I ordered anymore. They just would bring me food, and then they kind of clear it, and they wait for the next person to come in line. That was, it was this beautiful place. So every day from 6 to essentially, and evenings, I could not do stuff all evening long. Now, Adrian wasn't exactly thrilled, but I could do ministry a whole lot. And then something happened. We had children. And when we got outnumbered, that's when things started to change. Because I don't know if you guys know this, uh, that children aren't like, you don't just push a button and they get themselves ready in the morning. I know. It's shocking, right? And like, uh, in fact, at some point, it's like literally raising some of them from the dead to get up to go to school. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. And so what happened is that all of a sudden, um, my, minute, my primary ministry shifted from reaching people and discipling people and teaching people to I had to focus on the joy of my life, but it took away from the very thing that, oh, shoot, I was getting paid to do. Because it's really hard to minister to people while they're at work. And if you guys didn't know that, like, bedtime becomes like, it's an endurance of screaming and nagging and saying, one more glass of water, one more drink, one more snack, one more, one more, one more. Can I get an amen from the congregation? <laughs> all right, so, so what happens is, is you can experience that, and then all of a sudden, the, you, I started to call my four awesome children they. And that, that would be my, they, they, it's the they. And at one point, the Lord really put on my heart, the they is the very ones that you should give your primary best time to. And so bath time became just, don't just stare at your phone and endure it's be engaged. The morning time became from don't just like sort of shove food in their gullet and get them out the door. It became a place of I need to engage and be present and talk about the gospel and minister just as I would hope if I was a kid in a pastor's house, I would be ministered to. 
Okay. And today is a special day for me. Because the fruit of that is today I'm going to be baptizing my oldest son, Austin, who is seven years old. Yeah, that's exciting. And that is a joy for me. And then, you know, the cool thing is God somehow makes a way when I don't make others my God to minister to people throughout the workday. And so I can, I've been counseling and marriage counseling, even the beauty of Zoom. I can do it all day long while you're at work. It's pretty great. I just kind of pop into your office. It's beautiful. All right. But I think for some of us, we, got, we kind of shift from it's others, but then it's not just others, it's our circumstances. You would say, listen, Chris, it's not other people, it's like the, the lot I've drawn in life. It's the things that have been going on in my world. And uh, this is, brings us to Thomas. So he's kind of like the next character that, that John leads us into to get to know. So uh, all the disciples get together that night after Mary has, has seen Jesus, after... Uh, the entire experience, right? And so Peter and John and everybody are all together, locked door because they're still afraid of the Jews. They're not really sure, you know, Jesus has resurrection power, but does he have a security detail for us to sort of like have a little bit more sense of peace? And for some reason, Thomas isn't with them. I think maybe he got, you know, he drew the short stick, I go get groceries for everybody. So he's out uh, at HEB and he's getting groceries. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up behind locked doors like, what's up? And everyone's like, amazing, right? He can walk through walls and we can touch them all at the same time. This is unbelievable. And then in fact, he goes and he breathes on them. He's like, whoa. And he's like, minty, fresh, Holy Spirit power comes over them. And he says, whoever sins, you know, you forgive, I'll forgive. And you have like the keys to the kingdom. Let's do this thing. And they're like, blown away. Jesus leaves. In comes Thomas with the groceries. Hey, guys, can you get the door? You know, and he, they unlock it. They let him in. They're like, Thomas, you wouldn't believe it. Jesus was here. And they're like, <laughs> come on, guys. What do you mean Jesus was here? They're like, no, we touched him. We saw him. We felt he was here the whole time you were gone. And look at verse 25. Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. That's a strong statement. This is the point at which you're like, maybe you're the disciples, well, then you can leave. We saw Jesus. We know what we saw. Beat it, doubter. Doubting Thomas. I'm going to stick that name on you forever. No, no, no. So here he is. And, but... Watch what happens. I mean, this is, this is the part that is so crazy. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Jesus' disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. This is the part you highlight. Because do I have any, I don't, this would be weird. Hey, do I have any non-believers? Everyone's like, yeah, me. You can raise your hand, it's fine. Uh, non-believers, L- listen, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. Because you might be like Thomas. Now, Thomas literally thought, either that they were lying or they were crazy. I mean, that's the only two options that, they, that you would have of the other disciples. They're either lying or they're crazy. But for some reason, he hangs around them for eight days. Imagine the next day. Oh, man, I still have that minty fresh breath of Jesus on me and the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. Let me go read my Bible again. And there's Thomas going, I'm sure you did. 
the thing about Thomas, he's, he was always a cynic. You guys remember from John 11? Jesus is like, hey, we're going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And to do that, they had to go through Jerusalem where everyone wanted to kill him. And John's like, all right, let's just all go die. You know, like that's the kind of chipper voice in the background you always loved from Thomas. So like, yeah. But Thomas is with them. For some reason, he hangs with them. All doubts and all. And so I want to just give you, if you're not a Christian here, I want to say, hey, thank you for being here. Because when you hang around the Christians, you get to be there when Jesus shows up. Watch this. And Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side, which must have been an awkward moment for everybody. He's like, anyway, sorry. My mind goes crazy places. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, and I love this question, have you believed because you've seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas overcame the blame game to not be silent. He had to stop blaming the fact that, well, how come Jesus revealed himself to you and not to me? Thankfully, Jesus did it for him. But you know what's interesting about Thomas? Thomas became a missionary to India. In fact, tradition has it that uh, it wasn't like, the, like he went to India and started the first churches there and the, spread the gospel all over India. And so whenever missionaries came, the Catholic missionaries later, St. Peter didn't, hadn't, didn't have, couldn't hold a candle at St. Thomas. You see, that's this powerful reality that his, the movement of the gospel was so powerful in him that even when his circumstances looked odd, he didn't understand why God was doing it that way, that God was actually raising up a cynic to become a great missionary. Okay, let me put it this way. Um, for some of you guys don't know this, um, we, so there's a CVS next door, which by the way, we're allowed to park in their parking lot. That's a long story. Um, and the reason is, is because that used to be our children's ministry. Like right where you buy the deodorant, that's where our kids were learning about Jesus. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> what happened is that through a weird thing in our lease, uh, they kicked us out of our building that we spent roughly 90 grand on, sent us down past the the bar, past the dentist, the haircut place, uh, the Mexican restaurant, Papa John's, uh, and the donut shop to where our children's ministry is currently. And it was a hard reality. It was like, that will never, the leasing agent, that will never happen. Don't even worry about it. Sign right here. I mean, our elders, we prayed about it. We asked God, what should we, should we sign that, you know, and just still build out of it. And, and we felt like that was what the Lord was leading us. We did it. And the next thing you know, we, oh, I'll just never forget the, the, just the construction equipment bulldozing across our children's ministry area where our offices were and all that. And now during that time, I was like, oh, man. It was like hard to kind of get yourself to prepare a sermon, get yourself up to do ministry because it felt like you just had half your world collapse. And, you know, as we were moving children's ministry stuff down to the other side, it was like, exile to Babylon. <laughs> and we had a, a pastor friend of mine uh, who was on staff at the time. He, he goes, I'll never forget this. He's like, he was, was kind of like my doubting Thomas. He's like, you know, I know God's going to be glorified in this, but it might be that we get to be the bad example. like, thanks. But God was doing something this whole time. 
in the, and I was just like, all I can do is the next right thing. All I can do is minister to the person in front of me. All I can do is preach the God's word and proclaim the truth that no matter what the current circumstance is, that never, ever translate to God's presence. He is always with me when good happens or when bad happens. And then in the midst of the coronavirus, which is probably the last time that someone would come by and say, hey, you guys want some land? And that's exactly what happened. A guy that I'd known for 15 years heard about the fact we had our children's ministry bulldoze. He says, that's not going to happen again. Uh, he took me on a little tour. We spent like a good solid year and a half looking around at, at spaces and buildings and spaces and buildings and spaces and buildings. And one day we come up on this really great piece of property and, and they go, well, it's 99% sure it's already sold. He says, why don't you ask anyway? I said, it's already sold. Why, you know, let's not go through this heartbreaking thing again. He's like, listen, I'm going to put an offer. I'm like, Okay, with whose money? Mine. Okay, so he puts an offer. They accept the offer. Next thing you know, he's bought this property. And then he's giving it to us. You see, when you think, watch this, when you think, when you think, listen to me, when you think that all of your circumstances, so horrific, so bad, so awful, God is working in the background because he has his glory, your good, always working. And you can't even see it in your marriage in that job loss when it didn't go the way you thought it should go, in the health crisis situation. And you know what was really neat? We baptized uh, Kevin first service, and he came to faith while building out the second part of our Live From Our Center and Our Children's Ministry. He built it out, and we hired him, and uh, while in the midst of that, I shared Christ with him, and he accepted, and we baptized him first service. So, so listen, God is always up to something. The problem is we start to play God and start to wreck, like, this is going to be bad. This is all bad. We start being, the, we start being Thomas and saying it's all going to be bad. We're just going to die. As opposed to, why don't we let Jesus be on the throne? And I think that's what, what can be hard because I think we've all been through some hard stuff. And we have a lot of inner like, doubt and inner self-loathing going on. And that was what Peter's problem was. Like, Peter was there, right? Peter was there, uh, at the tomb, saw the tomb, was there in the room when Jesus shows up, like, ta-da, here I am. He was there for all that. And then John 21, verse 4, opens my eyes to where Peter's heart was. Watch this. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now, this is huge. I am going fishing fishing. And here's what happened when he's saying that. What he's saying is, I'm done with the Jesus thing. It was, I had a good run with it. Why else would he put it in here? Like, I'm going fishing. Like, do you guys have other things to do than go fishing? I'm going fishing. It was a declaration. I'm done. I'm too messed up. I denied Jesus three times for crying out loud. You guys are the real deal. You guys go and do the disciple making. You guys go and do, uh, to take the message further. I am disqualified. And it was interesting that Thomas was with him. In fact, it says that Simon Peter, Thomas, you never see Simon Peter and Thomas's names next to each other. It's always James and John or Andrew, something like that. But Thomas is there, who'd, who'd felt, who knew what it felt like to be on the outside. Uh, this is what I love about Thomas. And I don't know who said it, but they said to him, we will go with you. You don't want to be isolated when you're feeling that doubt. You don't want to be isolated when you're feeling all alone. And watch this. So they go fishing. And thankfully, they had the whole crew there because they caught nothing. So here it is. I'm a failure at being a follower of Jesus, and I'm a failure at fishing. I thought I could fish. I thought I could do it. And here I go back to the very thing I thought I was good at, and I can't even do that. 
And so he's like, well, what am I going to do? And then as they're sitting there, um, some guy on the shore, it's about 100 yards out, and there's some guy on the shore who, <laughs> who goes, hey, children, y'all catch any fish? And they're like, no. Hey, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Try the other side. To which, you know, if you know anything about fishing, that's ridiculous. It's not like one side of the boat's going to catch more fish than the other side of the boat. And plus, this morning, they've been fishing all night. These guys are fishermen. You guys know that. But they've done this before. There was a time about three years ago when Jesus was on the shore, and he looks at Peter, and he says, throw your nets into this. I was like, listen, we, we fished all night caught nothing, but at your word, we'll do it. And they throw it on the other side, and fish start jumping in the boat. And the same thing happens. And, of course, John, who's perceptive, goes, it's the Lord, to which Peter, at that moment, jumps off the boat as they're trying to haul in the catch, and he runs to Jesus, and they have this incredible experience of reuniting. But it's weird. Do you, you guys ever have a, with another fight with a dude? And, uh, guys, okay, this is, I'm doing guy talk. So you, you had a, a really good friend, and you guys had, like, a tiff, and you guys kind of had it out, and then you're together again, and you just don't, like, talk about it. You're like... We good? We good? You know, that's about, that's, about, that's about, in man world, we're good off this. You good? We good? Yeah. And that's it. You don't, that's, all, that's all you say. But they still have the tension there. And when they had finished breakfast, this is where Jesus looks over at Simon. He goes, Simon, son of John, he's going to get him right square in the jaw with this one. Do you love me more than these? And immediately you're taken back. Jesus, even if everybody else denies you, not me, I will die for you, Jesus. And he asked him, do you love me more than you? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And that's a sweet thing. And here's what stinks. If you don't know Greek, then this means, looks like just two of the same words. But in Greek, there's four words for love as opposed to our one word for love. Because with ours, you always have to put like qualifiers. I love you like a, and then you fill in the blank. So this love, will love you. do you love me sacrificially? Is it, do you love, which the love would be agape love, which means you're good at my expense. I will sacrifice myself for you. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Phileo love. I mean, it's, it is almost insulting, but it's true where his heart is. That's why he's like, I, I can't do this. I failed you. I couldn't, I couldn't say, kill me too. Do you agape me? No, I do love you, but I love you like a brother. And then he says to him, feed my lambs. And then he does this again, and it's really getting awkward for everybody because everyone's there. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me sacrificially? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. And he said to him, feed my lambs, or feed my sheep, or tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, and this is where it's going to get awkward. Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time it's, do you phileo me? Do you love me at least like a brother? And then Peter was grieved. He was sad. Because the, the realization that he realized that Jesus knows he doesn't have the capacity to love beyond love you like a brother. And it, this is where you're like, what do you mean by that? Um, when I was in combat, and I think Brandon can attest, can attest to this, is that you would love people like go to battle, go to war. I know Brandon would take a bullet for me because I've seen him do it. And if you don't know what that means, it doesn't mean anything. If you say, yeah, I'd take a bullet for you, you'd say, no, nah, I wouldn't. I'd just, you know, 
we're cool. You with me? Do you see the, the intense difference? Do you love me? And this is where he's grieved, he's wounded, and then he, he just kind of processes it. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you like a brother. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after I read that, I was like, okay, so Jesus comes down to his level, meets him right where he is. Isn't that awesome of him? But you don't really see like any resolution. I mean, we know that by tradition, we know that Peter would be killed uh, for his faith. But I always sort of ended it here and was like, huh, well, that was like a weird like thing. That sort of, I guess that was like that. We good, you good, you were good. But watch this next line. This is what totally wrecked me this week. This is the part that I just sort of always skip over. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, look at this parenthetical. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Because Peter still had room to grow. Even Peter wasn't there yet. But Peter would, would grow in his relationship with Jesus to a point which he would be willing to not only die, but to have it in the worst pain possible, saying, I'm not, um, I'm not good enough to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down with more pain. I want to serve my God. Isn't that powerful? To which you're like, that's sort of like morbid. No, no, that is when you believe in something that much, you're willing to die for it. And Peter was, but only after Jesus helped him. And how did he help him? By saying the same thing he said when he started. Remember when he was on the boat, it says, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Let's get back on task. Follow me. You see, Peter overcame that blame game about himself. I'm too weak. I'm too awful. And he became one of the most powerful preachers. In fact, all of Jerusalem, 3,000 people would come to faith in day because he spoke up in the middle and said and proclaimed with boldness, Jesus Christ crucified. He called other people to repent. He could do that because he himself had to repent from the darkness of denying Jesus. He knew what it was like to feel lost and afraid. In fact, whenever, uh, for a long time, for about 300 years, Christianity was illegal. And people would be uh, put to death for their faith. And one day it flipped. And everybody that sort of was like Christians under the radar came back. And everybody at, at, who had been legit Christians for a while, like, get those people out of here. You, I, you ran. You went and obeyed. You denied Christ. And then they go to the Bible and they say, well, it turns out, the guy who started this whole thing did the same thing. And they're like, all right, fine. That's what grace is. And, and so that's the legacy that, that Peter gives us, that even when we are faithless, that Jesus is faithful. Oh, I love that. Um, one, of, one of the things that was neat this past week is um, I have a community group of men, and uh, one of the guys in the group, the guy's name is Scott, and he let me share the story. And um, usually you have the... Well, the point of a community group is to have really powerful things shared in the group, and then after that, everyone leaves and goes home. But this week, nobody left. Like, it was like a couple people left, and then that's when people started talking, which probably means I should redo the group somehow. Anyway, so at the end of this, Scott looks over, and he's like, I can never share the gospel. And I go, why is that? He's like, I'm too bad. My sins are too great. 
I, and he's like, I know it's Satan working on me, and I sometimes doubt my salvation all the time. I'm just so bad, and if people knew what was going on in my head, and my heart, they would get as far away from Jesus. I'd be the worst representation of Jesus. I'd be awful, and like people, I would be the very thing that people criticize church about for being hypocritical, because that's me, and you just feel the weight of it. And I said, Scott, listen. Jesus came, he died on that cross, and he rose from the dead so that you wouldn't have to do the work that he would, and he changes you from the inside out. And so the grace is the, the, he saved you from the penalty of sin when you believe that he died on the cross, rose from the dead. And then he saves you from the power of sin, from its control over you in the moment when you repent in the moment and you ask for help, you say, I can't do it. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, Scott, you are that bad, but God is that good. Now watch this, watch this. To, with the theys, the theys are that bad. Your wife, your husband, they are that bad. But God is that good. You see, that's, that's the problem. You start elevating the days above it. Listen, uh, the circumstances, listen, I don't want to take the, the health situation, the job situation, the, the thing that you've been facing. Listen, it is that bad. It is awful. I want to maximize that. But Jesus is that good. And if you understand your eternal perspective of where he is leading, where he is taking you, then this struggle is actually preparing something greater. You are that bad. And Jesus is that good. And that's the message that we have for our world. Come and see, the tomb is still empty. And so we cry it out, we proclaim it from the rooftops. And my question for you is, will you let Jesus overcome your blame game to not be silent? And so this morning, we are gonna worship God and we are gonna uh, come to him and I get to baptize my son this morning, which I'm pumped for. And I want you to do business with God. If you're not a Christian here today um, and somehow other people have affected and gotten in your head, and that has become your God, what you think about them. They dominate your life. It's the they, it's the they, it's the extended family, it's the job, it's the church, it's the they. And I'm going to ask you to put Jesus back on the throne where he already is and recognize his faith. If you're not a Christian and you're looking at your circumstances, how could God be in this that you don't know that God might be using those circumstances to draw you near to him? Or if... You're feeling so dark and you're so miserable. God could never do something with me. Yes, he can. He specializes in broken, wore-out people. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. You are that bad, but he is that good. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask God, to, with the Holy Spirit, to open up your heart to come to faith in him for the very first time. And we're, let's do that. And we're going to ask God to move in your life, if you've been a Christian for a while, to trust him, uh, even with this next season of your life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you've been doing a great work and we've been watching you do some amazing things. And so, Father, I'm praying for somebody who doesn't know you. Maybe they've, they're just visiting. They just came. They just checked it out. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. God, I want it to be right, but I don't know. God, would you allow them to just confess their sin? Say, I'm a sinner sinned against you, God, my thoughts, words, actions. I've not loved you with my whole heart. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You went to hell for me. 
you rose from the dead. And Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. God, I pray that people here on online, everywhere, be praying that prayer. And that you would move. They would have salvation. God, I'm praying also for those who've been walking this thing out, but they got stuck in the days and they got stuck in the circumstances and they got stuck in their own selfishness and lifted other things above you so they could not even see your face, could not see that you were the answer they were looking for all the time. All they could see were the problems of people and circumstances in their past. So God, would you do a work of healing, of redeeming, so that we can declare the truth of your love and your grace and your mercy and cry out uh, with the throngs of thousands that you are God. That is where our hope is. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory that we pray. Amen.